have all been drawn to moments of great courage, which have prompted us to set aside our fears about reputation or ruffling feathers in order to speak candidly about something of great importance. Today, we meet someone whose love for the young teenagers in her life prompted her to speak out on TikTok of all places and whose life changed completely in that moment. Welcome back to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. People will go, this is a great video, but I'm not ever going to church. And I'm like, yeah, totally understand. Like, I get it, man. What I think I lament is that they were misinformed. They were not brought up, taught, and discipled in a way that was going to allow them to keep their faith. Like, they were wronged. They were wronged by a toxic theology. And so it hurts me to know that there are great, life-saving, worry-annihilating things that faith can bring to someone's life, because it does it for me every day. And when I see someone who's really struggling, but they don't have that faith anymore, they don't know where to turn to, that's what I lament, is like, oh, they need something, but that something really hurt them, and they're never going back there. Today, we continue my conversation with the Reverend Bethany Pierbolt, known to many as the TikTok pastor. In part two of our interview, Bethany and I discuss spiritual triage and how and why she keeps going when the going gets tough. Let's jump right in. Your community has a set of practices and a description of why tapestry, our tapestry exists. And one of the things I love that you say is that your community actively declutters our faith in addition to working for justice and encouragement of one another. Would you mind unpacking what decluttering your faith looks like? Yeah. So I don't really love the word deconstruction. Mm -hmm. I know it's everywhere and Mm -hmm. I know people kind of understand what that means now. But to me, it has a connotation that the house needs to be torn down. And in my mind, there's some good stuff here. There's some things that are absolutely true that you have learned, but there's some clutter around Mm -hmm. this. And just like decluttering your house, it's a lifelong journey. Hmm. You will always have to go back and declutter your living room. You will always have to go back. So to say like, I reconstructed it and now I've got it. We just did the same thing we did before. Mm -hmm. We also talk about like decluttering with like, there's some things that we have put in the bathroom of like, don't talk about this, keep that private, that we need to bring out into the living room. Hmm. We need to bring it out, look at it, talk about it. It's not something that we should be ashamed of or theology that we need to keep hidden we need to bring it out. There's maybe some things out in the living room that need to go back into the bathroom. You know, <laughs> like so we talk about this as like your faith is like this space that you're living in, your spiritual self is living in, and there's some clutter. And sometimes the goal is to just stack it all up, put it in a corner, and let's talk about some other things. <laughs> then we'll come back and try and declutter the stack later. Like that is something that people understand because you do it in your life. Yeah. I just like kind of ran into this with we were going through the prophets. And when you say prophets, you mean the prophetic books of the Bible, the books the pro- you're reading yeah. them together as a community? Where I was just doing like basic, like here's who it is. Yeah. Here's kind of what their vibe is. Here's some few key. So that if somebody said Elijah, they'd go, oh, well, he's a performance artist. I'm like, yeah, you're mm. absolutely right. Wow. So they had some great insights, but we were like, okay, we're really getting tired of the same kind of thing. And I realized 
Like we started talking about the prophets because it was something we needed to declutter. Yeah. It was something that has a lot of apocalyptic language in it that has been used for rapture and other toxic theologies. And so I wanted to declutter it. And I realized after those two months, like, okay, we just need to plant some new things, do mm-hmm. some good things, and just not touch the stuff that's harmful because we've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah. Let's talk about do not fear. So that's what we're doing. We're actually doing the Follow Me series, PCUSA Do Not Fear. Which is a curriculum. Yeah. A little plug. Yeah. There, yeah. There we go. When you describe the individual opportunities, the practices that people can intersect with, take on, or different reasons why people might come to this community. One of the things you mention is to intentionally retire from faith. I haven't thought of the concept quite that way, but it's a really thoughtful description. When we retire from work, we are intentional. We look at our bank account. We say, do I have enough money to retire? We make plans. We do all this. It's not just something that we do on a whim. And I think a lot of people because there's no other options out there, one day they just go, I can't go back to church. Hmm. And they just it's just gone. Wow. But those things pop up, theology pops up in really strange ways throughout life. And so if they are finding that they are having issues with sex or with family or with whatever, their sexuality, because of these sort of internalized fundamentalism biases, then let me talk to you. Let me walk you through it. Let me give you some options. Let me affirm that you are absolutely correct, that that's a weird way to read that. It's a way. Not all ways are read like that. And let's unpack it. Leave your baggage behind. If you really don't want a faith, if you really don't want a religion, then I want you to really intentionally leave it behind. Know what you're leaving behind and go about your life in a way that that's not going to be trauma anymore for you. Hmm. Does it make you sad when someone steps into that space as a pastor? I think I know too much about the church (laughs) to say. (laughs) People will go, this is a great video, but I'm not ever going to church. And I'm like, yeah, totally understand. Like, I get it, man. Mm -hmm. What I think I lament is that they were misinformed. They were not brought up, taught, and discipled in a way that was going to allow them to keep their faith. Like, they were wronged. They were wronged by a toxic theology. Mm. And so it hurts me to know that there are great, life-saving, worry-annihilating things that faith can bring to someone's life, because it does it for me every day. And when I see someone who's really struggling, but they don't have that faith anymore, they don't know where to turn to, that's what I lament, is like, oh, they need something, but that something really hurt them, and they're never going back there. Yeah. And what I hear you saying is not this sort of dormant hope in your priestly way of walking someone through that, that transition in their life. It's not... I'm sure they'll be back in 10 years if we do this in a certain way. It's a real releasing with them of that identity. There's maybe like a dental floss thread (laughs) in me saying like, if we really talk this out, I think they will realize Mm. that they could have kept this if it was this line, this progressive theology. But yes, that is never 
my goal, I'm never wanting people to find another church. Has it happened? Yes. This last Easter, there were 11 families that reached out to me and said that they went to church for the first time in years because of what they've been seeing through my social media videos and tapestry. And that's only the 11 families that actually reached out and told me they had done that. It's kind of a triage tent as well. Let's heal what can be healed. And if you are well enough, let's find you a community. Let's see if there is something within driving distance, because sometimes there is. I have people who have a lovely church that they're fully involved in, but they come to our Bible study because it's a smaller church and they don't have a lot of Bible study options. I have a church that the pastor's like part-time. And so she sends my emails out to her church to say, hey, if you want to do a Bible study, here's one that's happening every Tuesday and you can go to it because she can barely get worship together on the number of hours she's supposed to be giving. And this is a way for her to give the congregation more spiritual formation without having to put any more energy into it. So there's a lot of different people who are coming to these Bible studies. There's a lot of clergy who are like, I work. I want to have a Bible study where I don't want to work. I just want to come in and talk about things. So we have a lot of different kinds of people that get attracted to our tapestry. But the main focus and goal is those people in those theological deserts who do not have access. I have someone from the Philippines that will come on with their camera off. And I'm like, it's probably dangerous if we learned their name and learn their face. Hmm. You know, like they might be someone who it would be dangerous for them to interact with progressive theology. That happens. And people just want to like reach out and be like, what did you say? What do you mean? How does that go? And the internet's a really easy way for them to anonymously peel away closer and closer to what we're doing. Hmm. There's such a different quality to the kind of relationship that you're fostering and inviting people into in the church. I think it's a relationship that many clergy practice and want to foster. And the releasing aspect of the spaciousness, actually, that's something that Pastor Gracie Payne talked about a couple of episodes ago on New Way. There's a spaciousness to the way of Jesus that we don't always acknowledge or release ourselves into. Yeah, This idea of walking with someone as they contemplate walking away from the church and knowing that, believing in our hearts that it's not actually what we're seeing a lot of on TikTok, which is you walk away, it's over, you're going to spend the rest of your life and eternity in hell. Burning. Burning and, you know, being tortured is actually not, Jesus is with you even as you walk away. And that's very scriptural, that God is with us wherever we go. I'm curious, I wonder what kind of conversations you, if you're willing to share, you're having with Jesus these days. So for me personally, it's been a lot of what is the role of a pastor? Like, what are we really supposed to be doing? Hmm. How much should we expect from people? I watched the series, The Chosen, which if you haven't, I actually recommend. I am not a great Christian video, but The Chosen's walk in a really good line. And in that, Jesus sends his disciples back home and says, okay, I'll see you at the next feast. I'm like, it never dawned on me that they might have had moments that they went back and spent time with their family. Like it never Mm. dawned on me. So then I was like, is that like summertime when we like 
lower the programming and we don't do a ton of things and don't expect people to come back? Or should we be like doing that every like month? Like say, okay, here's our meeting this one time a month. And then now go back to your corners of the world. I know that we've come from a space where Sunday morning church was the thing. We're not there. It's not there. I don't think it's coming back. Where it is coming back is online. People are engaging with streaming when they are able to or watching online from home. And so I ask myself, how much can I really expect someone to engage? Mm-hmm. We did a prayer vigil for Transgender Day of Remembrance. And we had 21 hours filled. Mm-hmm. And most of those people had never done a prayer vigil. They'd never even thought about praying for an hour in their life. And they all said really great things. At the conclusion of that prayer vigil, we had like a little worship service. We had like three people show up. And my pastor self went, oh my gosh, I can't believe we didn't. But then I was like, no, you had 21 people who in the last 24 hours prayed for an hour. So why did you expect them to then come on again for another worship Hmm. and for another hour? Like, okay, I was expecting too much. This isn't a great way to compare it, but I'm starting to think of pastoring a bit more like being on retainer, like a lawyer being on retainer. (laughs) Like you want them there when the stuff hits the fan and you pay them to be around, but you don't need them all the time. Hmm. And maybe as pastors, we're just getting a little bit too selfish of like, you need me, you need me. I need to be in every bit of this. Like maybe for some people, They want a pastor to be there when they hit grief, when they hit the wall, when they celebrate a birth and a wedding. Like, why is that not okay? That's been a lot of my conversations with the spirit of like capitalism mind going like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And, you know, me praying, like, give me the motivation. Show me what I'm going to do. And the spirit's like, sit down. Hmm. And I'm like, no, I need to be doing something. And so it's like, sit down. And I'm like, okay. Okay, maybe I have a whole idea about pastoring that I need to rethink about what is that relationship really. Wow. We'll be right back. You are listening to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. And today's guest is the Reverend Bethany Pierbolt, better known as the TikTok pastor. During this short break, we wanted to let you know, you could find links to the resources mentioned in our podcast and an audio transcript of our episodes online at newchurchnewway.org. We hope you'll share this episode with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Now, back to my conversation with Bethany. And you're, you're fairly explicit about it too in your writings on your call and vacation on your website too. And I found that certainly to be true, something that we actually bemoan at times in ministry. It's like, I've got the service I've planned for you on Sunday, and we're doing our Lenten meditations, and we have our Bible study, and then someone dies, and they want the funeral this weekend. And it's like, oh, these people with their incessant needs, you know, <laughs> that they want clergy present for. And what I hear you saying is just like a kind of a, an openness, an open-heartedness toward actually maybe they're telling us something we need to hear, or maybe the spirit is telling us something mm-hmm. that we can invite in in a more intentional way. And what do we need to declutter, perhaps? Yeah. You know, when we're truly honest and 
open with ourselves, we will find that we come out in different places. How often we are hungry to be in religious community, proximate with one another. Yes, absolutely. For digital ministry to thrive, I and all the other digital ministers need people who are in churches doing church like it has been done with community, with gatherings, with, you know, the Sunday worship, like that needs to keep happening because that is the thing that we love. That's why we're pastors. Mm. I love hymns. I love organ music. I love the sacred spaces that we've created. I love those things. And that's why I want to try to help some people to love those things again, Mm -hmm. or to show that those things are lovable. You Mm -hmm. can love a church. We say that we're a connectional church. And yet there's a lot of steeple envy. (laughs) (laughs) And you're talking perhaps even in particular denominations, we say that. Yes. Like the Presbyterian Church USA, you and I are both clergy. Absolutely. Yes, we say that a lot. But if we're all doing the same thing, that's not connection. Yeah. That's yeah. not collaboration. That's not. So how can I do what I can do with my skill set so that someone else who is called to a different kind of community can do what they want to do? So you can have the wonderful worship. You can have the amazing preaching. You can have, you know, I want all of those things to be there. And I want my skill set to just be able to help them out. And they help me out. Yeah. You know what it makes me think of is as a former track athlete is the four by 100, where you have four people on the same team who are running a quarter of a track. They're sprinting, they're giving it their all. But there's this moment there. I mean, it's really a glorious moment. It's the best part of the race when that athlete smacks the baton into their teammate's hand and the teammate slows down just enough to make that connection. And I love this analogy for ministry these days. And I think this is beginning to emerge more than we give it credit for. Exactly what you were just saying. I can do this ministry because I trust that my colleagues are curating spaces where someone can go show up with their family on Easter Sunday and have this reimagining of their faith because of the connection between your portion of the race. Glorious Easter and Christmas morning. Yeah, you just can't. You've got to have the brass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for some of us, yeah. my main point is just that really we're able to thrive and we reach the best of our courage and beauty as people in our vocational identities, knowing that we can pass that baton off and trust that we're on the same team. And same team, but we might not believe the same thing. Like you Hmm. might not be as progressive as I am, but that doesn't mean I'm not on your team. I think when people hear about me and look up my stuff online, some of the pastors out there are like, wow, whoa, she is really in your face. She's not holding any punches. That is a thing for social media. I'm not like that all the time. (laughs) And I speak many, many different theological languages because I've dealt with people who've come from so many different church backgrounds. And so I love meeting people where they are and saying, you know, what do you know? What do you want to know? Where do you have a speed bump between what PCUSA is putting into our constitution and, you know, where are you, where you are now? That's one of the reasons why I wanted to come out to Denver is because I really want to have those conversations with churches who are like, we want to make a step, we think. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, let me meet you where you are. Let's have a couple conversations. Let's see what we can do. I'm not going to be in there telling you you're wrong and you're 
not a Christian. Like that is what I'm fighting against. Yeah. So I will always meet people in the theological spaces that they are and go, yeah, great job. You're doing great. I will never say you're not a Christian or you're doing it wrong. Hmm. I will say if it's toxic. Okay. There's maybe a line. Okay. I do talk a lot about toxic, abusive relationship. So I put the line of toxic theology in the space where someone starts to second guess who their created self is, like what they know of themselves when it tries to tell them that they absolutely have no chance with God or is causing people to turn away their kids, those kinds of things where it's obviously not producing the fruit of the spirit. That's where I draw that line of that's toxic. That does need to get rid of. But the other stuff is like, yeah, there's options out there. Mm. And where you see joy, faithfulness, self-control, these beautiful parts of the fruit of the spirit in another tongue, in another theological language or experience, that's actually a good thing. That that's one of the beautiful things we have in religion. And you're helpfully making the distinction between people's connection and relationship with the holy and the human created in all their glory and ecstasy and tragedy, uh, religious spaces and communities we make to strive after that and to do it with other people. One of the things that I tell people a lot is like, if you want to see the fruit of the spirit, go to a pride event. Mm. There is more joy There is more self-control. There's lots of those things happening. And that was one of the things that convinced me when I was in college that my church can't be right. This Lutheran church that I was attending, that can't be right. Because you're telling me that the spirit is in love and joy and faithfulness. And these people are so faithful to each other. And some of them are so faithful to God that they pray every night to be different. Like that is faithfulness Mm. and they don't change. (laughs) Look at anybody who has said they are ex-gay. They have now come out and said, we're still gay. So that does not exist. And if God is not granting anybody's wish like that, we need to look and say, why? Mm. (laughs) Why is this not happening for anybody? Because it's not wrong. Mm. I would love to close as we often do with, an invitation from you, our guest, to those who are listening, a practice or a question or perspective that you would offer to them coming out of this conversation. Social media gets a lot of damning news. And there are things out there that are not great. Hmm. But just like the world, there's a lot of things (laughs) that are not great. There are so many things that are exceptional about it. There are people out there who are in Palestine right now and giving daily reports. You don't have to guess if the news is telling you what's right or wrong. You can hear it from the mouth of someone living it. Follow, find people and experiences that you do not have. Find someone who's paraplegic. Find someone who's blind. Find someone who's got a million tattoos. Like, Find someone who is telling their story because if they're online, they are the ones who are willing to get asked the hard questions Mm. and they're putting themselves out there. And that is where you can learn. I have learned so much about like transgender surgeries and the process of it because there's a couple people who are like, don't ever ask somebody this in person, but I'll tell you my story. And that is the power of social media to get you to meet people that you will never ever meet in your life. So that's my challenge. 
go on, search in that search bar, somebody you've never met, some background, some experience, and follow a couple of them and learn what their life is like. Wow, what a fantastic practice to invite us into. And on behalf of all of us who are faith leaders, I want to thank you for the ways in which you have given witness to God's love in a way that is life-changing. I am confident it's life-saving for many who are hungry to experience the gospel and who have felt for so long that that doesn't include them. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Friends, that's it for today's conversation with the Reverend Bethany Pierbolt. But you can, of course, find her on TikTok at rev.bethany or otherwise online at rev-bethany.com. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Our fabulous producer is Martha M. Sanders. You can always visit us online and see archives of all of our episodes at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time. Oh,